A very good Sunday morning to all of you who joined us here on www.godsredeemed.org. This is the website of the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ. We invite you to join us here at 2091, rather, Pitts Lane, here in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Our times of uh, worship and our uh, requirements during this time of COVID-19 are listed on the home page uh, of this website, and we'd love to see you. We'd love to worship with you and have you join us for our midweek Bible study on Wednesdays as well. Here on Sunday morning, uh, our classes uh, are concerning uh, the study of 1 Corinthians. It's a wonderful letter that was written to a very disorganized church. It's a reminder for us as we study that things can go uh, very wrong and they can go wrong very quickly if we're not quick to uh, tend to the business of the congregation. Uh, if our elders don't watch out for untruth and error slipping in uh, to the congregation, if we as members uh, don't work to strengthen the body uh, through working together and working together in love and grace for one another. And so we're going to continue. We'll talk about some of the things that we've discussed before as we and bring you up to date in our review. And let's do that. Uh, first of all, before we get into our lesson this morning on spiritual gifts. Last week, we looked at chapter 11, which dealt with uh, many of the women uh, in the church at Corinth who were taking off their veils uh, as they entered into worship on the first day of the week. They had been wearing those veils as a sign of submission to their husbands. Paul says it was a tradition and was not a commandment that they had been given uh, in any time, but we talked about social uh, traditions sometimes uh, cause us to do things that uh, for which there is no commandment, uh, whether it be washing of our hands or uh, other traditions of shaking hands as we go in with one another. Uh, but this had been a tradition that they had held uh, throughout the week, but coming together on Sunday, they uh, removed their veils, and especially those certain women who were removing their veils, uh, who had uh, Holy Spirit gifts. Uh, in doing that, Paul said, you are not being submissive to uh, God the Father and Jesus Christ. He mentioned uh, these three uh, ideas that were addressed in a letter written to Paul in chapter 7 and chapter 8 by the church, or some in the church, who had asked questions about the eating of meats, uh, the subjection of women, the Lord's Supper, and spiritual gifts. And we talked about the subjection of women and the Lord's Supper uh, last week. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts uh, more today uh, and for the next two or three weeks. <clears throat> Pardon me. The subjection of the women in the assemblies, again, dealt with the fact that they were removing their veil of subjection, a tradition, not a commandment, on the day of uh, worship, the Lord's Day. Uh, some of them had uh, Holy Spirit gifts and should have been submissive uh, on the first day as well as Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. 
because they were to be uh, submissive to God in the order of things. We'll look at that in just a second, but they weren't. Some were coming without the veil, as we said, and some were speaking under divine inspiration without the veil, not showing their subjection to the Holy Spirit, to God, or to Christ. And then Paul talks about this divine order in uh, creation when man was created. Uh, there was God the Father, God the Son, uh, God the Spirit, we could add, in, in those. There was also man who was submissive to the Godhead. And from man, woman was taken from him, from his rib, uh, and made a help uh, suitable for him. And she was the last in the order. Not to say that she was the worst of the order, but she was taken from man and given to him as a helper. There was also, just as there was order in creation, there was order in worship, which certainly was not the condition here. There was no order of love, no order of mercy. There was no order of truthfulness. Uh, it seems like pandemonium ruled in this congregation. And Paul uh, then begins <clears throat> to give reasons in talking about order uh, for the woman to be covered. He says that when she comes in uncovered, uh, and is now no longer showing submission, it's as if she were shaven. And we talked to some extent about that as to how society over the years has looked at uh, women who were shaved. Uh, certainly we have women today who are shaved as a fashion statement, uh, some who are shaved because uh, they have uh, cancer or another sort of disease that causes them to go uh, bald. Uh, and so we're not entirely sure, uh, but we can uh, assume, uh, and that's a dangerous word, but it may be uh, something to be ashamed of, that a woman uh, who was able to have long hair uh, would shave her head. Well, a woman who had been uh, given these Holy Spirit gifts to take off her uh, veil as she were was speaking these things uh, that she had been given uh, would be like the woman who was shaven and would be an embarrassment. Uh, she was to show her place in the order of creation. That's what, what the tradition was built around. Uh, wearing this veil on top of the head or this covering that came up over the head uh, showed her order in creation that she was submissive to her husband uh, as a help uh, suitable for him. Thirdly, uh, she should wear it because of the angels. Uh, they were in submission to God, but certain angels led uh, by Satan <coughs> rebelled against God and rebelled against the order uh, that they had been given. Uh, they rebelled against that order, and uh, we're told that they're held and reserved in chains for judgment. Fourthly, uh, Paul is not saying to the women, you know, man is top dog, and uh, he's, uh, he's better than any of you. He's superior. That's not what he's saying. What he is saying in verses 12 and 13 is that we're both depending on each other. The husband 
the male depends on the woman for many things in a marriage. Uh, love, help, sometimes uh, wisdom. Uh, the woman may have an understanding of uh, financial matters that she can help her husband with those or other things. Uh, we depend on each other. Uh, this idea of male superiority is not what Paul's saying. Indeed, God has always, in the order of creation and the order of his will, uh, demanded that men take the lead in marriage, uh, in uh, authority, uh, excuse me, in governing uh, and overseeing the, the congregation with elders. And so uh, man is not better than the woman, but man in the order of worship and man in the order of uh, creation. Uh, the female shows her submission uh, by this tradition of wearing veils. It's not saying that I am a bad person. It's not saying that I am a weak person, for we find many uh, strong women in the scripture, and we find many wise women in the scripture. Paul is saying we need each other. It's also an appeal uh, to decorum in verse 13 that he writes them. There needs to be order in worship services. <clears throat> there needs to be love in church services. There needs to be a desire to do all things decently in order according to the pattern laid down for us in the New Testament. And they simply were not doing that, not only with the covering, but they weren't doing it with the Lord's Supper. There was no decorum in the teaching of the gospel. There was no decorum in many things that were going on here at Corinth. So he appeals to them uh, for decency and order. And he appeals uh, for them to look at nature. Look at how God created us. Verse 14 and 15 uh, man has uh, been uh, created uh, by God, and God saw his uh, loneliness and gave him woman created from him. And we look at hair that Paul mentions, the hair that women who are able to grow hair and those who are able to grow long hair, it's beautiful. It's their glory. It sets them apart from man. Man's short hair uh, sets him apart from a woman. And so he appeals for us to look uh, at woman who, in a natural sense, has her head covered. Man does not always have his head uh, covered uh, with long hair. Uh, again, we go back to uh, the history of culture and society has not been so uh, in every situation. So Paul said that these arguments uh, demonstrate wearing the veil was a custom. It was not uh, the norm. He was saying, uh, however, if you're going to wear it during the week, then you need to wear it on Sunday. Secondly, he addresses the problem of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was divided among uh, classes, and it was so apart from what Christ had ordained. It had not become a remembrance. It had not become a memorial, but it was a common meal. 
Some were eating far too much and getting uh, stuffed. Others were drinking and getting drunk. And it was between the rich and the poor and other classes. And so you had those who had great uh, amounts of food over here and drink. And they were eating good things and they were eating a lot of it. And then you have the poor over here who didn't have as much. And some of them were, compared to the two, going hungry and being thirsty. So Paul says, you need to go back to what was originally intended by Christ to partake of the cup and the bread together, to not be in a hurry to do it, to wait on a brother who may show up a little late, and to think about these things and to partake of it, thinking about Christ giving himself on the cross that we might have salvation. Paul concluded this chapter by saying that there are other things I'm going to set in order when I uh, come to Corinth, verse 34. And so today we begin uh, with a study of chapter 12, part one of our looking at what Paul uh, gave as an answer to the question about spiritual gifts. Going back to this letter that was written in uh, chapter 7 and 8, or mentioned there, uh, in which uh, they had asked about the eating of meats offered to idols. They had problems with the competition between the stronger brother and the weaker brother, uh, causing brethren to uh, commit sin through violation of their conscience. And now in chapter 10, he's going to talk about their behavior uh, as they have been given spiritual gifts. Not all of them have been given spiritual gifts, but the ones who have, have not used them correctly. They have abused them. They have created competition uh, as to whose gift was better and who could use the gift better. And it had gotten... Uh, the church into so much confusion that their original intent uh, was not being uh, performed. And so we look at these three chapters. We're going to look at them as God gives us the, gives us the time next week uh, and perhaps the week after that. We're going to look at chapters 11, or excuse me, chapters 12, 13, and 14. So if we look at those three chapters and God gives us the time to do that, we're going to look at four things. First, we're going to look at the variety of spiritual gifts. There were about nine of them uh, that are mentioned here. And we look at <clears throat> the differences in those spiritual gifts and how they were to be used. Then Paul is going to uh, discuss the unity that needs to be observed in using these various gifts that they've been given. He's going to look in chapter 13, one of the most well-known chapters in scripture. He's going to talk about the love that's not existent in the church of Corinth and how it should be. And we're going to see there's a great contrast between what should be and what is. And he's also going to talk about in that chapter uh, the duration of these spiritual gifts. They're not going to be here forever. They're going to be here as long as it takes 
for the word of God, the gospel of Christ, to be confirmed, then they're going to disappear. We haven't seen them in 2,000 years. There are those of the Pentecostal church and other uh, denominations who have us believe that they are still here in the form of uh, snake handling and uh, battery acid drinking, uh, speaking of gifts. Uh, but you will see them for the fruit that they bear, uh, that these are not true spiritual gifts. And Paul's going to talk about that. going to talk about testing these spirits uh, in just uh, a little bit. So the, let's look at the fourth one. The fourth one he's going to address is in chapter 14 uh, about regulating the use of these spiritual gifts, how they are to be used in edifying and building up the church. For certainly they needed to understand they were using them wrong. They were uh, being selfish with them. They were uh, being carnal with them. And most of all, they were creating great division as if there wasn't enough division there uh, with these Holy Spirit gifts. There were a variety of them. Uh, as he begins there in verse 1, uh, this phrase now concerning uh, refers to, as I told you uh, when we first started uh, looking at this letter, refers back to the questions that were asked in the letter sent to Paul. Uh, and he has addressed some of those already, the eating of meats offered to idols. Uh, and he's addressed the stronger brother and the weaker brother. Uh, and now he's going to address, uh, uh, after the veil and after the Lord's Supper, a variety of spiritual gifts that have been given uh, to members of the congregation there. We don't exactly know what's going on uh fully at the Church of Corinth. We do have an insight, as Paul uh, mentions this disorder uh, that is there, the competition that is there, uh, the taking uh, the personal gifts as a uh, personal challenge to uh, use it for their own gains in the congregation and elsewhere. Uh, and although we don't know everything, we do see the rivalry and the strife which should never be in a congregation uh, by those who are using these spiritual gifts. And again, I, I think you've seen from the very first chapter that things were going on that were allowed to go on. Uh, incest, adultery, fornication, uh, problems with the Lord's Supper, problems with love, problems uh, with uh, competition between stronger Christians and weaker Christians. So Paul is saying, okay, you've got these spiritual gifts. Now what you have to do is you test them. These people who are saying they have spiritual gifts, well, there may have been some there who said they had spiritual gifts uh, that didn't. So the first thing Paul says in verses 1 through 3 is, you've got to test them. Is what they're teaching true? And Paul reminds them of the difference in worshiping idols that some of them had been. Uh, idols that were dumb, had no means of communication. They couldn't speak to you. They couldn't hear you. Uh, it's different with the Christian experience. Here, many of these gifts were audible and visible. 
Uh, and certainly none of this came with idolatry. You remember way back uh, in Exodus, Pharaoh's magicians tried to prove they had these same gifts that Moses had, but they didn't. And God showed them up for that. And he emphasizes the uh, content of the revelation uh, spoken by those who are under the influence of the Spirit. He says, no one who claims to have the Holy Spirit can say Jesus is accursed. Those who teach the Lordship of Jesus Christ are under the direction of the Holy Spirit, verse 3. And so what is he talking about there? How, why would someone say uh, that Jesus is accursed? Well, if you remember back a few classes, we talked about the Gnostics. And the Gnostics, uh, or the enlightened ones, had been spreading this doctrine that many churches, even in uh, on up to John's day, and even during the time of the Roman Empire and Revelation, uh, the writing of the Revelation there uh, during the Roman Empire, uh, they were teaching that all matter was uh, evil, and therefore, if Jesus is deity, he could have had nothing to do with creating this world, because deity can have nothing to do with evil. Uh, they also proclaim that Jesus could not be a deity and come in the flesh, since all flesh was evil. Uh, and Jesus dying on the cross, he only became deity, or he only entered in the body uh, during uh, resurrection, because he couldn't have anything to do with the, the fleshly body. They were teaching all these things, and they were drawing people away, and drawing Christians away, and so Paul says, these people who are saying they have this ability, test them. What are they saying? Are they saying that Jesus is not deity, that he did not come in the flesh? John called them uh, antichrist. We look in 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3. 1 John 4, verses 1 through 3. John said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in, come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. He's the Antichrist. He has that spirit in verse uh, 3. He has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is in the world all, already. Back in Deuteronomy, God gave the children of Israel this test of those who were prophets or dreamers uh, who may come into their midst and say, uh, watch this, and he does some great sign or wonder, or he tells you something's going to come to pass, uh, and perhaps it may come to pass, or he does some sort of sleight of hand. Uh, but then he says, <clears throat> let's go after other gods, some of the gods that you haven't known, and let's serve them. You shall not listen to the words God said, because he is a liar. The Lord God is testing you to know whether you love God. And we have to make that decision. When someone says they have the Spirit, and yet they teach uh, 
in doing that that they are of God and they say something that's contrary to a God who is not a God of confusion, God who is truth itself, God who cannot lie, and then he says something contrary to what God has already told you. In verse 5, in the days of Moses, that person would be stoned or killed because he's taught, it says, rebellion against your God. And so we need to be careful. As Paul told the church at Corinth, you need to be careful. Uh, some of these things are very powerful statements. But is it truly a spirit of God or is it some sort of sleight of hand or uh, appearance? And yet they're luring you into believing something that God never ordained. There was diversity of gifts. There were nine different gifts, but they all came from the same source. That's what God was telling uh, the children of Israel back in Deuteronomy. And that's what John was telling uh, the church there as he wrote uh, to watch out for these who are anti-God and anti-Christ. Uh, look at uh, the following from verses uh, 4 through 6. He uses these three uh, descriptions of the divine gifts that come from one source. And even though he's talking here and saying three different things, they're all about each of the gifts. First of all, they're gifts. <clears throat> these gifts are extraordinary powers that were given to them by the grace of God. It was God's grace who allowed them to have these certain abilities uh, to be used for God's purposes, for confirming the gospel of Jesus Christ, for confirming uh, the teacher or the apostle as being a teacher or an apostle of God. Secondly, he calls them administration. These gifts were uh, ministering uh, gifts. Uh, they were a service to not just to one person, but to everyone uh, within the congregation. And thirdly, uh, operations. You see that root word. Uh, you may see the word energy in there. Uh, it came from what God had wrought. It is a work of God that was given uh, by his love uh, and mercy and grace towards man. And these three uh, terms, they uh, refer to the same gifts uh, from two different aspects. Number one, they're derived from the grace of God. They're given for the purpose of service, and they're brought uh, forth uh, through the energy of God. And there with that uh, item of three things, I think we are also called to rem uh, remember uh, the three beings of the Godhead. God the Son, God the Father, and God the Spirit. And so the point of repeated emphasis on these three descriptions of these gifts is to emphasize where they came from, uh, the design, what they're designed to do, and the goal of these gifts. God provides all these gifts from his grace for his service by his energy. They're not given for the personal glory that they seem to take uh, great delight in 
building up competition among each other as to whose gift was best, <clears throat> which gift was being used properly. But the gifts were given uh, to profit everyone there in the congregation. And so there shouldn't be any congregation or any competition, nor should there be any in our uh, congregations. We shouldn't be competing as to see who can be the best teacher. <clears throat> we shouldn't be in competition. Who's the best song leader? Who gives the most in their contribution? Who gives the best Lord's uh, Supper uh, invitation and declaration? You see, there shouldn't be competition. We all have the same common background. The grace and mercy of God in a time when we were sinners was given to us. Why? For the purpose of our salvation. How? By the energy of God to send his son, Jesus, to the earth to live among us, to show God among us, and to die on the cross as pure, innocent Lamb of God. And so we need to be careful. Let's look at these nine lists, and we'll see what uh, they were competing against. Well, the first two uh, was the gift of the word of wisdom and the word of uh, knowledge. They're sometimes distinguished as practical knowledge, which would be wisdom, and speculative knowledge, which would be uh, wisdom. So we have to have knowledge in order to gain wisdom. Wisdom also comes from above. But the difference between uh, those two, uh, I think, is uh, not easy to explain. But understanding that they were separate gifts, a gift of wisdom in using knowledge and a gift of knowledge in gaining understanding. Thirdly, uh, there's faith. And this is not the faith that we need to all have. This is not the working, saving faith. It's a miraculous faith. And I think it's alluded to uh, in verse 2 of chapter 13, uh, where he says, though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. Uh, even if we had this miraculous faith, uh, as Jesus talked about in Matthew 17, verse 20, uh, if we don't have the love that goes with it, the understanding of how to use that faith, uh, we're nothing. And we'll discuss that in our next lesson, of course. But in Matthew, the 17th chapter, in verse 20, he said to them, uh, when they asked him, why couldn't we perform uh, the miracles that you uh, told us that we could perform. He said to them, because of your little faith, you didn't really have the faith necessary to perform uh, the miracle. For truly, I say unto you, if you have the faith of a little mustard seed, and he gave a parable about the mustard seed, this little bitty uh, seed, and uh, if you were to go over to the Middle East, and I've been there and I've seen mustard trees, uh, just as Jesus said, the birds of the air make their nest in them. They grow big, they grow tall and bushy from this little seed. But he says, if you have faith like that, you'll say to this mountain, move over here and it'll move. And nothing will be impossible for you. We then see in uh, chapter 21, in verse 21, Jesus answered them and said, truly I say unto you, if you have faith and you do not doubt, 
you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, that fig tree that Jesus cursed, and it bore no more fruit. But he says, even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, that's what's going to happen. We need to strive for that faith. Uh, but we need to understand that the miraculous faith that we have, that we can accomplish certain things uh, just because we believe they will happen, uh, was a miraculous gift that was given to some of those there, uh, not only at the Church of Corinth, but elsewhere uh, throughout the New Testament. There were gifts of healing, uh, the ability to heal the sick, as Jesus did on many occasions and also gave his disciples the same ability to heal the sick. Uh, there was the gift of working of miracles, which I think is a distinct gift, maybe other uh, different uh, rather uh, than uh, just healing the sick. Uh, this was uh, perhaps casting out demons, uh, inflicting a divine judgment such as uh, Peter did on Ananias and Sapphira back in Acts the fifth chapter or Paul did to Elymas in Acts the 13th chapter, uh, raising the dead uh, and other uh, wonderful uh, miracles along that line. The sixth gift was prophecy, teaching under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, seven, uh, discerning of the Holy Spirit was a miraculous gift whereby one uh, was able to test whether or not uh, someone was speaking uh, as God, but yet not being of God. And then our eighth uh, gift, this kinds of tongues, and we could just as easily said, kinds of languages, <clears throat> for that's exactly what he's saying, these different languages. We have to immediately go back to Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit uh, gifts came unto the apostles, and uh, they spoke all these different languages mentioned there in Acts 2. They had had no uh, training in that, uh, but they spoke these different languages. You know, I speak uh, German and I speak uh, a little Korean. I read it fluently and I uh, write it fluently. Uh, I speak a little Chinese, not much. I speak uh, Spanish enough to get a, along with, uh, but I've had training in those languages. I studied German for eight years. Uh, both in high school and in college and uh, elsewhere. Uh, I studied Korean uh, in Korea uh, and uh, had language training there. Uh, but these are things, uh, these are languages that those in Corinth may not have spoken. Uh, certainly when we go back to Corinth and look at the seaport town that it was, there may have been those who uh, went out on a ship and they went to Spain and they learned uh, in many trips to be able to communicate and, and speak that. But we're talking about people who'd never had any background, uh, never went to any language school or had any training, who were able to speak fluently in a variety of languages in order to preach and teach the word. Finally, our last uh, gift is the interpretation of tongues. Paul says, and he'll tell them a little later, uh, these foreign languages are meant to teach those uh, to learn in their own languages, just as in Acts 2, uh, to hear in their languages. But he says if you're going to use that, if there's someone 
who comes into your congregation, uh, we can use that today. If someone comes in who speaks Spanish and we conduct our services in English, uh, they don't understand English. We should provide someone who speaks Spanish, someone who's credible, to be able to interpret what the preachers or teachers, uh, teachers are saying. And so there was this gift to interpret what was being taught. These, again, were people who were able to understand what they heard, uh, not necessarily able to speak, uh, but able to understand what they heard uh, and to relay that to other people who uh, needed to hear. Uh, I said not necessarily uh, uh, to speak, but maybe I spoke out of turn. Uh, there are some people who can uh, write a language but not understand what they're writing. Uh, these uh, individuals who had this gift were able to interpret what was being said. Uh, the other gift, they were able to speak what was being said. So there was understanding and there was speaking both going on in these two uh, final gifts. And what they were doing was making uh, these last two uh, the most important, and there was no most important. They were all done to edify, to confirm, and to build up everyone. But they were taking this uh, ability given to them by God to be able to speak these foreign languages and to interpret them as being the best ones. And he'll talk to them about this, and he'll talk to them about their futility in doing this. So as we uh, begin the second part, we're going to look at the unity that they did not have in uh, receiving these various gifts. The communication of the different gifts to these different members is comparable, Paul says, in this long description, this long metaphor of the human body. And we look at our bodies. Our bodies have many members. We've got eyes that see and ears that hear. We've got a heart that beats and uh, blood that flows and uh, veins that carry that blood, all sorts of things. They're, our bodies are wonderfully made, David says. And the Creator has given us bodies that are simply fascinating. But it all works together. And we have different members that do different things. The hand may reach out to grab a, a cup of coffee. And the eye has to be able to look at that cup of coffee and see where the hand is to go. And the brain has to tell the hand, we'll go a little further. And then now grab hold of it with your thumb and uh, two fingers or three fingers. Now I want you to pick it up, an arm, help him support it, and, and all of these things. Uh, and mouth, you need to be uh, ready to receive this uh, good coffee. Well, it's the same in a church. Uh, the church has many different members with uh, many different abilities, and each of us uh, do certain things well. And what Paul is saying is we need to be the uh, like the conductor, as Jesus is our conductor, who is encouraging us to do all these different things, and we need to act in harmony with love and create this wonderful, wonderful music of pro productivity and of uh, togetherness and unity. He says in verse 13, for by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Whether we're Jews or Gentiles, whether we're bond or free, we've all been made to drink uh, one drink, one spirit. 
And so we are uh, from one, uh, from many, e pluribus unum, our uh, nation's motto. Uh, we have many backgrounds, but we have one thing in common. We were all sinners, but now we've been baptized into one body and we must function as one body. Uh, despite all of the different abilities that we have, we put those to use in order to have the uh, body function in benevolence, in teaching the gospel, in building up the saints, in teaching classes, in teaching uh, singing, in praying, in checking on one another and encouraging one another and edifying and building up. We do that. And certainly that's why the Holy Spirit gifts were given to people uh, there at Corinth. <clears throat> they had been baptized and had become one, but they were far from being one. They were still separate things. They were many different things. They were, among other things, adulterers and they were fornicators. Uh, they were perverters of the gospel. They were worshiping idols still. Uh, the strong were not taking care of the weak. All sorts of things. They were not one body. To be one, you have to cooperate with each other to make it function. Just like our bodies cooperate with each other in order to make it function. Can you imagine our eyes saying, well, I'm not going to work today because I'm mad at, at uh, uh, the knee. And so guess what? You're not going to walk very good today. Well, we can't do that. We've got to work in harmony. We've got to develop love and unity among ourselves. And we look at the manner in which God created the church, Christ's bride. He's given abundant honor to the least comely of all parts, the poor, those who are weak. But he expects us who are strong and those who of us who are able uh, to bring back the lost to build up the weak with love and grace and mercy. Uh, we look at some things that we're not very proud of. Uh, we look at our feet maybe and, and our toes. Well, they're just ugly things. Well, think of what you uh, do without your toes in walking or standing up. Uh, think about uh, some people say, well, you know, I don't like my nose. My nose is too big. Uh, my nose looks like uh, somebody stuck a potato on my face. Well, what would you do without that potato? Would you be able to breathe? Would you be able to enjoy good food? It's necessary that every part of the body, uh, whether it's your, your best feature or your worst feature, works together. And so how we dress the body uh, bestows honor on the uncomely. We put nice shoes on our feet and all of a sudden uh, our feet are pretty. Uh, we may, uh, I was trying to think of what I'm going to say about my nose, but uh, you know, we may put a mask on today and, and coronavirus and everybody says, oh, well, how attractive you look. Uh, but you see every part of the body, whether it's pretty or whether it's not, every member of the church, whether they're rich or whether they're poor, whether they wear expensive clothes or whether they're poor, 
whether they're able to preach or whether they're just able to open doors or write good cards, they're all important for us uh, to be a functioning and working congregation. And Paul's trying to tell them that here. They're not a functioning co uh, congregation. They're a congregation that's in need of great help, great understanding, and to go back to the very basics. And he's made us so that our members are interdependent, just as we talked about in our review, that man and woman are interdependent upon each other. I'm dependent upon you who are watching this program, who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, to pray for me, to correct me if I say something wrong and teach me uh, the better way. I'm dependent upon you to uh, be an encouragement, to stay in the way, to uh, provide examples for not only me, but for my wife and for other members of the congregation. There's so much uh, that I depend upon you for. There should never be a wall between us. The body of, the, of Christ should be the same uh, as it was yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Paul lists some more of the offices and gifts that uh, have been given to the church there. And he begins talking about first and second and third, and then he kind of breaks off uh, and lists the gifts uh, in random order. Tongue speaking, uh, he mentions last. <coughs> because this is the one uh, spirit, Holy Spirit gift that they needed uh, to understand they were abusing and abusing it to no end. And he talks about these three uh, uh, honors. First of all, there were apostles. The 12 apostles were handpicked men and Christ revealed his will to men through them. We have the writings of the apostles and others who uh, were able, as Christ promised them in John and elsewhere, that when the Holy Spirit came, uh, he would call them into remembrance of all the things uh, that they had been taught. The second is there had been prophets. Prophets came along through the Old Testament who were instruments through whom the will of God was revealed. It foretold the coming of Christ above all things. It foretold uh, the coming of judgment upon those children of Israel who left God and rebelled against him. It was the prophets who recorded all things by the Holy Spirit uh, through their writings to be left for us uh, to confirm the word. And thirdly, Paul said there were teachers teachers who are uninspired proclaimers of what had been revealed. Paul mentions teachers among uh, these other uh, gifts. Uh, not everyone there had an ability to teach. Uh, not everyone today has an ability to teach. Uh, there are some who are great teachers and have the mastery of using both PowerPoint slides and uh, uh, pictures and uh, wonderful words and a command of the English language. But you know, when we try to tell everybody you need to uh, study and try to be a teacher, and when we try to draft people uh, that simply aren't uh, able to teach, uh, here's the truth. 
uh, we might as well try to make me a song leader because I can't sing. Our wonderful brethren who came out to uh, sing on our front yard and many of uh, the yards of other brethren uh, a few days ago. And, and uh, it was just wonderful. I can't put it into words. Uh, but I told them, uh, I said, before you start singing, uh, if you see any cats or uh, pigs show up, uh, that's because I'm singing. I'm usually uh, uh, win first prize at a hog calling contest just by singing. Uh, but not everybody has the ability to teach and not everybody has the ability to, to lead singing. Not everybody has the ability to preach. And so Paul breaks off and he enumerates these other gifts, miracles, gifts of healing, uh, helps, uh, aid, ministration of the deacons, those who care uh, for the poor and the sick, all of these things uh, that are necessary in a con in a, uh, uh, a congregation. I lost my mind there for a moment, which I do more often than not. But he also talks about the government of our elders, those who uh, oversee the flock, those who uh, protect us and defend us and nourish us and uh, care for us. And he talks about the different kinds of tongues. He's going to talk about tongues again next week as we study. And so then he gives some rhetorical questions uh, by which they are all, uh, they all should be uh, no. Not every member has the ability to do those things that he mentions. And finally, he closes the chapter by pointing out uh, a better way. And he'll begin that next week as we get into chapter 13. Uh, please read ahead on these lessons. And uh, if you haven't done so, read chapter 13. And you might go ahead and read chapter 14. I don't know if we'll be able to uh, get into that or not, uh, but we'll try. Uh, go ahead and read chapter 13. Let me ask God to bless each one of you for your desire to learn. Let me ask God to bless you for your love of him, the love of the church, and your continued obedience and faith uh, in working as one of the most necessary members in each of the congregations you represent. I love every one of you and pray that you'll join us here and on Facebook as well next week as we'll look at the love chapter what is he telling them about love and is it only talking about uh, love in the sense uh, that we see it when we read this chapter at weddings or we read this chapter how important was it for the church at Corinth to hear this wonderful passage about love and spiritual gifts We'll try to understand that all next week. Make sure you tell your friends, invite them, invite family, and join us again here uh, next week. Those of you who uh, need the PowerPoint slides, they are on this website as well, and you're free to download them. You're free to share them. Until next week, I bid you farewell, and may God bless each of you.